So grab your Bible, open up to the Gospel of Mark chapter 14. I I promised last Sunday that that was the last question of Jesus we would look at for uh, that year. Uh, This is the first question of Jesus we'll look at for this year. While you're finding uh, Gospel of Mark chapter 14, I have a a question for you. And it's it's such a simple question that it's not even going to distract you from from finding Mark 14. You can do it at the same time. And and a lot of times when I ask questions, you know, I say, oh, you don't have to raise your hand because I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But this time, I'm going to say, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you can answer yes to the following question. So here's the question. Have you ever broken or failed to follow through on a New Year's resolution? Yeah. All right, yep. Yeah. Okay, you can put your hand down. That gets pretty much all of us. Uh, let, let's make the question just a little bit more specific. Um, have you ever broken or failed to follow through on a spiritual resolution? You know, uh, New Year's or otherwise, maybe you said, I'm going to start reading the Bible, you know, a certain amount every day. Or maybe you said, um, I'm going to pray more regularly or give more consistently. Or perhaps you had plans to be better about sharing your faith with your friends, coworkers, neighbors, family, whatever. Uh, you could have had um, a grand idea of memorizing. I am going to memorize Scripture because, man, I know how important that is. Have you ever made a spiritual resolution and then failed to follow through? Have you ever wondered why we seem so bad at following through on our resolutions? I mean, obviously we make a resolution because we want to do that. And if it's something we want to do, why don't we do it? You should be in Mark chapter 14 by now. The question from Jesus for today is found in verse 37, and it's actually two questions. Um, They're tied together, so we'll just kind of do them both together. But uh, Matthew 14, verse 37 says, And he, that's Jesus, came and found them, Peter, James, and John, sleeping, and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Your word which leads us to Jesus Christ, who is the word, the way, the truth, and the life. God, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, work in our hearts and minds. Do the work that you desire in each person here. We all come with our own burdens, our own uh, brokenness, our own hearts and desires, hopes and dreams. So God, we just pray that you would meet us now in this time of preaching. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, before we actually look specifically at the question, again, I'd like to make sure we know what's happening. If you were here last Sunday, you may recall that the the context for the question uh, we looked at then came during what is traditionally known as the Last Supper, right? And specifically, we were looking at that incident where Jesus washed the, the feet of the disciples, 
And so all of that went on, and they went through the Passover meal, which Jesus then uh, converted to communion as we shared in it this morning. And, and after all of that was done and the, the various rituals were observed and so forth, then Jesus took the disciples from that upper room and, and led them out of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. And that, I got a picture here. This is, this is me standing on the Mount of Olives looking across to Jerusalem. And, um, and uh, so there, you can see it's a fair distance. If you look right in the middle of, of the city, you see there this uh, gold dome. That is, of course, the, the uh, Muslim holy site known as the Dome of the Rock. So this picture obviously looks way different than what Jesus uh, and his disciples would have experienced. That, that, that uh, Dome of the Rock sits smack dab on top of the Temple Mount. And right over where the temple, where the, the disciples and Jesus would have worshipped, sat. And, and the city of Jerusalem would have been incredibly small by today's standard. In fact, all of the old city, the, the main part that would have been there when Jesus was there, was kind of back behind that temple, that gold dome. It was back behind that area in a, in a small area there. So all that city you see sprawling left and right and all that kind of stuff, that would have been rural countryside back in his day. So Jesus and the disciples, they, they left Jerusalem and walked past the temple and then down through this valley known as the Kidron Valley, which you can see better from this second picture. See the valley between the two there? And, and in this picture, the Temple Mount would be just to the right, upper right-hand corner, just behind, out of view there. That's where the Temple Mount would be. So they go down that valley and then up, and you see all this concrete, or what looks like concrete, it's just stone, uh, to us, those are all graves. Uh, this is one huge cemetery. The, the valley, the Kidron Valley, was an ancient cemetery. In Jesus' day, that cemetery obviously was much smaller than it is now and would have been mostly contained about where this picture is taken from and, and below and behind that. So all you see on that slope right there, that's the slope of the Mount of Olives. And in, in that day, that whole slope would have been covered with small privately owned gardens. Uh, this is where the rich people held, uh, had their, their small gardens. And, and not so much vegetable gardens like we think of, although there might have been some of that. But these were retreat-type gardens, uh, places to get away uh, for silence and solitude uh, for these rich people. That The gardens were outside of Jerusalem because there was a rule that the, that the soil in Jerusalem, this is another rule that the you know, Pharisees made up, uh, the soil was so sacred in Jerusalem that you, you couldn't uh, befoul it by putting manure in there. And, and so then you couldn't really go, grow things very well in there. So um, they had these private gardens out there. And, and uh, apparently... Uh, each of these gardens would have had a stone wall around it to, to mark it off as belonging to this person or that person. And uh, almost all of them would have had an olive tree or two or more in them, hence the name Mount of Olives. And, um, and uh, Jesus uh, had access uh, to, the, to this garden to... Apparently, some wealthy benefactor said, hey, Jesus, you can go use my garden anytime you want. And the name of his garden was Gethsemane, uh, which means oil press. 
You know, olive oil uh, was used for cooking, for medicine, for burning in lamps, for all kinds of things there. And apparently his garden was large enough and contained enough olive trees in there to make it commercially viable to go ahead and have a press and, and press out all that oil and, and use that. Um, and, uh, and so... Uh, that's what was going on there. And so Jesus comes into this garden with all of his disciples and he says, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. So, Jesus described himself as being distressed, troubled, deeply grieved. And maybe you're, you know, wondering, well, you know, what could cause Jesus to, to be in such an emotionally distraught state? And obviously for Jesus, it was not from what had happened to him, but what would happen. You know, sometimes I know we get emotionally distraught over what might happen, uh, something in the future, right? Which, when you think about it, is, is kind, of, uh, kind of foolish because we allow ourselves to get all discombobulated over what-ifs and maybes and all this kind of stuff. Jesus, on the other hand, he knew exactly what was coming. So was he full of dismay and anguish because he knew that even now, right at that moment, Judas was meeting with the authorities to betray him, turn him over to his enemies? Or maybe it was the painful reality that his closest or one of his closest disciples, that inner confident circle, Peter, within the next few hours, would deny that he even knew Jesus? Or was it that the Sanhedrin would unjustly condemn him or that Pilate would be intimidated into condemning him or that these soldiers would mock him and beat him and crucify him and and the horrible anguish that that would bring through it? Or was it the fact that he knew in just a short time all the sins of the world would be laid upon his shoulders. And obviously, I'm, I'm thinking it was all these things wrapped up together, right? And, and, and with all of that coming his way, uh, of course he would be distressed and troubled and, and deeply grieved, right? How could you not be? And, and to me, that's actually a, kind of a comforting thought, right? I mean, if, if Jesus could be emotionally distraught over what he was facing and going through and would have to endure, must not be a sin if I sometimes get that way too, right? And I don't know about you, but I've been around some Christians who seem to think that if you show any uh, distressed emotion at all, that somehow you're a bad Christian. I think I'd like to encourage those people to read this verse several times and then they could go ahead and explain to Jesus how poorly he was handling the situation. 
I think they might have a tough time doing that. See, Jesus is our perfect example in everything. And, and right here, he shows us that, first of all, it is okay to have deep, distressing emotions. I mean, those words that he used to describe himself uh, means filled with anguish and horror. Uh, it means crushed. Now, that's what he was feeling. okay. But he also showed us how to then face and handle those circumstances that would be deeply grieving to our soul. And you do two things, right? First, he surrounded himself with godly believers to be with you, his, his close companions, his friends, his, his small group that did life with, right? And you get them by your side, and then you pray. That's what Jesus did. And sometimes we may need to pray, you know, with, with a whole group. We just may want that group around us and, and be praying together. And we see examples of that in Scripture, like when, when Peter was, was imprisoned and, and the believers at that time were praying for his relief and, and release, and, and a whole group of them were together praying. Sometimes you want to be just a smaller group. Jesus led, left the, the bulk of the disciples right there by the entrance of the garden and just inside and then took three closer with him. But even these three, um, he, he, he just needed them near him. He was going to pray alone, but he, he didn't need them to say anything for him or do anything. He just wanted them to be there with him and, and to keep watch with him. And he went off a little ways further and prayed alone, but the comfort was in knowing that these guys were there near enough to him and he could go and then in solitude pour out his, his heart to God. And there are times when we may need to do that as well. Or maybe a time when a friend of yours will need you to be that companion to come alongside of you. They just need you to be near. You don't have to offer the perfect uh, piece of wisdom or advice. <laughs> you just have to be there for them. So Jesus takes these three with him in there and then he asks them to keep watch with him while he went off and prayed alone. Well, what exactly was he expecting from them, right? I mean, when we hear that phrase to keep watch, we tend to think of guarding, right, to, to keep a watch, you know, the sentries, you know, this type of thing. And, and so was Jesus like, hey, I, you guys, you guys kind of guard me and watch out here because Judas is coming and you, you can warn me when he's coming and stuff like that? I don't think that's it, right? Jesus knew Judas was coming and Jesus actually went out to meet Judas. So I don't think that's what he was talking about at all. It, it actually... Uh, becomes a little bit clearer when you go to the Gospel of Matthew, which gives us a few extra details that aren't here in Mark. And uh, Matthew says, Jesus was saying, keep watch with me, which means Jesus wanted and expected these three friends of his to do what he was doing, to pray. He, he wanted his friends praying with him and for him, even though he was going to go off and pour his heart out uh, alone just a little further down. And, and so imagine his disappointment then when this is what he had asked them to do, and he comes back and, and finds them sleeping. And not just once, right? Three times if you read the entire account, this happened. Uh, and all three times, 
the disciples had fallen asleep instead of praying with Jesus. So, so what happened, right? Why couldn't the disciples stay awake and keep praying for Jesus? Where was their resolution, their willpower to keep going? I mean, all of them earlier in the evening had been vocal about sticking with Jesus no matter what. And then he comes and says, what, one hour and you couldn't? Well, Jesus gives us a bit of an answer to why we can't in the verse 38, right? When he found him sleeping the first time, he told them, keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, you know, as, as you go further into the New Testament, as you read more in there, the, the, those terms spirit and flesh take on some, some deeper spiritual meanings. But, but I believe in this particular uh, incident, uh, Jesus is using these terms in the normal, regular way. The spirit is that inner part of you that will continue to exist even after this outer body dies. The spirit is the part of us that wills and desires and makes choices and those resolutions, right? It's with the spirit that we bond and connect and build relationships with one another. In the, and in their spirit, right, these disciples, they believed that Jesus was this promised coming Messiah that, that they'd been waiting for so long. And, and so that's, that's how they had built that relationship in, in their spirits. When Jesus taught lessons, uh, especially hard lessons, about what it meant to be a Christian and to really follow him, uh, then a lot of the, the people out in the crowds, the, the, the general masses and numerous you know, nominal-type disciples, they walked away. I mean, one incident of that happened right after Jesus fed the 5,000. You, you remember that? You know, five loaves of bread and two, two fish, and he fed all these people with that. And, and then right afterwards, he gave a very difficult teaching. They, they said, man, this, this is tough about what it really means to follow Jesus Christ. And they didn't want to be part of something that was hard. They just wanted the free lunch. They just wanted the good and easy stuff out of Christianity. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm so fearful that much of Christianity in America is being presented as the free lunch. The, here's all the good stuff. And we don't want the hard teachings of what it means to really follow Jesus. But he, he gave those hard teachings and people just walked away from that. And, and as they were walking away, then Jesus turns to the 12 disciples uh, and, and, and wonders if they're going to abandon him. He says, Simon, uh, are they going to abandon him? And Simon answered, and Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, that was in, in, in the spirit there where they make that choice. It's you, Jesus, that we're sticking with. And, and that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus recognized, man, their spirit is willing. They really wanted to do what Jesus asked them to do. Like, like true friends, they wanted to support and, and be there for Jesus in prayer. Unfortunately, our spirits reside in these bodies of flesh and bone, and our bodies are weak. 
So the things that we might be all gung-ho about in the Spirit, we can often find they fizzle and fade out because of the weakness of our bodies. Now, think about it. Don't you believe that those disciples wanted to stay awake? Right? It's not like they just blew Jesus off, right? Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, really, Jesus. Now I'm going to catch a few Z's while he's gone here. That's not what would have happened, right? They wanted to be there for him. But especially after the first time he caught them sleeping, right? Can Can you imagine the renewed efforts to stay awake after that? You know, you're slapping yourself in the face. You're trying to find cold water to splash over you, pour over your head. Walk around, do anything. But the minutes stretched on and on. And their eyes were heavy, chances are. It was after midnight by this point. It had been a long day. I mean, especially for Peter and John, right? They were the ones who had to go and prepare that Passover meal all day long. And you can imagine them fighting in their spirits, trying to stay awake, but losing out to the drooping eyelids and, and, and exhausted bodies, and soon they drifted off asleep again. And look, look at what verse 40 says. And again, Jesus came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. I don't know about you, but I've been there right where these guys are. I've really wanted to follow Jesus. I want to be faithful and and do what is right. But then been betrayed by the weakness of my body. And you fail. And then in regret and shame, I did not know what to answer Jesus. Have you ever been there? I mean, I know I'm not alone in this because even the great apostle Paul spoke of this same predicament himself. In Romans chapter 7, he said, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, but for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. Basically, he was saying, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And as a result, he ended up doing the very thing that he hated. And when I read that, then to borrow a current popular phrase, I'm like, hashtag me too, right? So does that mean that we're defenseless against the weakness of our bodies? That we just, you know, have to live with it, live in the best we can and, and cope with that until the day that our bodies are redeemed like the rest of us? Well, absolutely not, right? Look, look back to what Jesus told his disciples after catching them asleep the first time, right? He said, keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The flesh is, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Two things he gives us to do there, right? To, to keep watching means to be alert, to be vigilant. We have to be aware of and know 
our weaknesses. We have to, to keep a lookout for the, those situations and those circumstances where the weakness of our body causes us to be more susceptible to fail. I mean, have you ever noticed how, how much easier it is to show grace and to extend kindness when you're feeling well-rested, right? Far easier to sacrifice for others and to meet needs when you're full of energy and feeling good. So really, when you think about it, part of this whole idea of watchfulness is it's taking care of ourselves physically. Our, Our bodies are tied to our spirits and how you treat one affects the other, right? We need to do that, but... Unfortunately, we live in a broken world, right? And our bodies are weak. And there are many times when we're going to be called upon to live out our our faith in, in Christ in spite of being exhausted or worn out or sick or whatever. I mean, the truth is uh, we get to live very little of this life at our peak physical uh, condition, right? Yeah, you're, you're just not at your peak all day long, every day. It just doesn't happen. And, and so then what? I mean, these disciples were really tired. And guess what? They had every right to be tired. They were up all day, busy all day, and now it's way late in the night. So what then? I mean, it's hard to stay awake when when you're fatigued and, and, and be praying instead of sleeping. But this is where his second command, watch, be aware, and pray. Pray for the resources that you need. Because of this broken world and the weakness of our bodies, we desperately need the supernatural resources that only God can provide. And God provides strength when our our own strength is gone. He brings encouragement when we are down. He provides hope when our circumstances seem overwhelming. It's by God's power and only by His power, not our willpower, not our abilities, that we can overcome the weakness of our bodies to do whatever it is that He's asked us to do. And we'll find out as we pray to God for for His resources, we'll find out exactly what the Apostle Paul found out when he prayed uh, about what concerning what he called the thorn in the flesh, right? That when we're weak, God really is strong. And that his power is perfected in in our weakness. So, the weakness of our bodies is not an excuse. It's a warning. It's a warning that we need to be extra vigilant that we need to be on watch because guess what there's more than one way to fall asleep I think the application here is beyond just the physical spiritually we can fall asleep with pride pride I can handle this I can do this on my own I don't need others or help or or we can fall asleep by thinking that's no big deal. Or by selfishness, by getting the eyes focused on us instead of Christ, we need watchfulness so that we don't fall asleep. And then we need prayer. And we need each other.
That's the example that Jesus gave for us. Let's pray. Father God, again, we're thankful for Jesus Christ, for what he's done for us, for the salvation he's provided through his suffering and death, but God, also for the example that he gave us, that we can know how to live this life and how to face the difficulties that we will face. So Father, we pray that that we can be alert and watchful, that we would know what we need to do to be awake and that we would be done with gritting our teeth and flailing our arms and trying harder, but instead would seek you through prayer for the resources we need day in and day out. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.